0: Welcome. This is a special edition of a vision for you. My name is Melanie C, a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. Today is sunday, july 26, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, june 26, excuse me, actually, june twenty fourth are the following: The seven a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study meeting, one nine one zero three, nineteen thousand one hundred three. And the share ID number for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time weekday Big Book Study meeting is 19104-19104. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 12, Keep on the Firing Line. Let me repeat that. Step 12, Keep on the Firing Line. It's Chapter 7 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is entitled Working with Others. We have finally begun building a parallel life by which to live and conduct ourselves and the responsibility to others to do so. No longer living for ourselves, but living outside ourselves so that others may live too in its, in its totality recovered. Here we are at step 12, all the way through from the doctor's opinion, finding our way to entire abstinence, deciding to cross the threshold into the world of spiritual living, then next, cleaning up the wreckage of our misguided past in step four, rooting out from that experience bits of our character that have fallen short of the values that we'd hoped for ourselves, which is six and seven, onward atoning through making amends for any harm that, ca- that we caused others throughout our lives because of our weakened character. We then arrived at the housekeeping, clearing every day, utilizing steps 10 and 11. We found our our way by grace given by divine director at the doorstep of step 12. We haven't arrived anywhere and certainly not concluded our spiritual journey far from it. It is a beginning. We have just equipped ourselves, readied ourselves. Now it is the daily adherence to the principles and carrying this message, this message, the message in its everything, everywhere, holy type of way. Do you remember the days before recovery? Or are you in those days before recovery? The intention is to never forget and to be nudged so strongly day by day to cross over the threshold and stay there. On that other side, the big book makes that seemingly impossible promise and step 12 practice in action is what we follow to do so. This step keeps that forefront in our minds and in our hearts. This is a practical program of action. Let me emphasize that, practical program of action. And as I suggest, we are on the move when it comes to discovery through recovery and recovery. For the rest of our lives, we will be strengthening and growing our beginning. Step 12 is about carrying the message that was given freely to another fellow that has not been given the greatest news of all time. Staying green and pressed on the firing line of life, it covers so much more. In the food, face down in our gluttony or or in the bathroom stall, filth and disdain for ourselves and others, there surely was no firing line there. We were scrapping and scraping into our lives to be able to just survive and it was ugly. But we have been blessed with a program that brings every one of us through to a renewed life. We have much to pay forward and it encompasses every aspect of our lives. We are awakened. We are returned to redo or even renew what we had gone through before. And then at that moment, the very moment, we carry the message of the 12 steps to those that are suffering, building and growing in the principles and reconstruction and all of our comings and goings. Excuse me, each thought and each action we have to have and to encounter to meet every day we've expanded our principled life. Today, our guest speaker will take all the promises of step twelve and speak of the larger scope of this step, the vital part of the suffering, the relationships life itself, and deliver a power packed view perhaps greater than the one you came in here with today surrounding the long view of the opportunities we have to give testimony, spoken or silent, of the change that once was never imaginable. She intends to help us identify the beauty of spiritual principles, perhaps not so readily considered before. Our guest speaker is a central member of A Vision for You and Overeaters Anonymous, spending her time and her service in many, many places in many, many ways in both of those particular fellowships. Being here from its inception, dedicating her all to this simple program of action. She teaches and sponsors and applies the principles of this program in all her affairs far and wide. I can attest to that personally. She has enlarged her service day in and day out throughout her many, many decades in recovery. You will find her trudging daily on a vision for you, being of service, helping and teaching and studying with us too. A vision for you is thrilled to have her here today teaching on this on such a significant chapter and step in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So sit back, preparing yourself to learn at a deeper level as we turn our attention this morning to our guest speaker. She hails all the way from Maryland today to come and share her experience, her wisdom, and her practice. Please help me welcome this morning, Amy G. to the line. Good morning. Good
1: morning, Mel. Am I still
0: unmuted? You are loud and clear. Come right in, Mademoiselle. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Mel. Wow. Drop the mic. <laughs> I don't need to say much else after that. What an incredible introduction. Oh my gosh. Love you to bits, dear. Thank you so much. Uh, as Mel said, my name is Amy G. I am a recovered uh, compulsive eater from Maryland, and I am so grateful to be another bozo on the recovery bus. The recovery bus trudging one day at a time because of this wonderful program i'm going to qualify a little bit but this program has absolutely saved my life it has transformed my life it has rocketed me into a fourth dimension that i never even dreamed possible you know we know three dimensions but that fourth dimension i didn't even know what was ahead of me and i have a new program a new way of living my life i thought the only thing i would ever want was when the food would not call but this program has given me so much more that miracle, and so much more. Um, Just so you can't see me, um, I came to um, OA, my first meeting in March of 1983, um, suffered in this torturous hell of slipping on and off and relapse. I love sayings. You're going to hear a lot of them. One of them is uh, OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because you know too much and it ruins all your binges. So I suffered and I struggled trying to work this program my way for almost five years, and then truly surrendered in December of 87, December 7th actually of 87. I always joke that this dates me, but it says that you know Pearl Harbor day, the ships were sunk and so was I when it came to this disease of compulsive eating. Um, I've run the full gambit of this disease, and I've been recovered since 87 also. Uh, abstinent and recovered, meaning that I am, I mean, OA's definition, I didn't make it up, is um, refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy weight, physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery. Not that I do that perfectly, but I am gratefully not cured, but recovered. So like I said, I've run the full gambit of this disease. I am a compulsive eater. My top weight was about 170, and then I had, or I Continued to have at that point the three D's of this disease denial, delusion, and defiance. And I just defied getting on the scale. So I probably put on another 15, 10, 15, 20, I don't know, but close to pushing past or up to the 200 mark. I've also been anorexic in this disease. I was lowest weight was 102. I definitely know that number. Driving in the car with the jacket on in the heat in the summer. Um, I'm a compulsive exerciser, hours every day, uh, exercising. I've given a lot of my body parts, knees back due to all of that exercise. Um, But by far and away, my worst manifestation of my compulsive eating was the bulimia. And um, I had a friend teach me when I was 12, and uh, stick your finger down your throat. And that's the magic trick. But this disease is cunning and baffling and oh, so powerful. And what became a magic trick to what I thought to eat whatever I want and not get fat was just a way to then continue my binges. Because it used to be that I would binge until the point I couldn't fit another bite into my throat and then I would pass out. But with the bulimia, it allowed me to purge and continue to binge. So what used to be a couple-hour binge would then be a 24-hour binge, a 48-hour binge, a 72-hour binge. By the time I was a freshman in um, college, I was a full-blown compulsive eater, bulimic, alcoholic, drug addict. Are you catching my drift here? If there was any way to anesthetize my life, any way to get rid of the rids, (laughs) I just heard that in a meeting and I loved it. Get rid of the rids, the restless, irritable, and discontent. I could not live in my own skin, and I had to anesthetize. And that was my only answer. You know, there's a quote in Bill's story that says, out of drink and speculation, I was to create and forge a weapon that would turn around like a boomerang and shred me to ribbons. And that's exactly what this disease did to me. I didn't know how to handle life or deal with life, and that was my response. And it was killing me by the time I walked to my first Over Years Anonymous meeting when I was 18. But then at 22, I tr- I finally surrendered. And I, and I always point this out because this is a WE fellowship. The first word of step one is WE. But at some point, me, myself, and I have to make a choice. Only I can choose to surrender and work this program as it's laid out and follow the instructions and work the steps like my hair's on fire to say the saying is to do and not think and finally in 87 i did decide to do that and i was going to be willing to do the instructions because up to that point i had been treating this program buffet style excuse the pun you know a little bit of this step sure i'll admit i'm powerless steps two and three forget it god no way you know, steps eight and nine, yeah, when hell freezes over, but I'll go to meetings, you know, I'll say I'm powerless. And that got me nowhere. In the program it says half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. You know, if I want a soda and it's a dollar twenty five, I can put in up to a dollar twenty five, a dollar twenty four ninety nine, right? But I am not going to get that soda unless I am all in at a dollar at a buck twenty five. That 1%, that 10% of that unwillingness is what will kill me every time. So I finally surrendered and I started to understand that I had an illness. It wasn't an issue of moral character or willpower. It was a two-fold illness, a physical allergy and a mental obsession. I got a sponsor, a home group, and I got a food plan. I worked with my sponsor. I mean, yes. this is not about the food we always talk about that but my manifestation of my illness is the food the big book on the doc op on page XXVIII talks about entire abstinence i don't know anywhere in the big book where it says we eat our way to getting abstinent or we eat our way through the steps and find ourselves abstinent at the end of the steps. it requires entire abstinence and for me I had to work with my sponsor to find a line in the sand about what is abstinent and what is not. I needed a food plan from a dietitian, doctor, nutritionist, because I couldn't write my own, because trust me, that was not going to work, been there, done that. And I needed something that was without my allergic ingredients, twofold nature, physical allergy, mental obsession. I had to not have those ingredients that would create the physical allergy, which is the phenomenon of craving for more. And for me, that was sugar, high-fat flour, and volume. That was a big one for me. I really struggled with that, but I needed to understand that I didn't know three ounces of beef from half a cow, depending on my emotional nature. And I've been an unabashed weigh and measurer for over 34 years. And that was the beginning for me. And, you know, I I... I working with my sponsor i started to understand the true nature of the problem of and and who and what i was when it came to my compulsive eating so if we break the steps into it and you know melanie you know got into this as well and i thought it was great and again i heard this at a meeting and and you know we plagiarize the hell out of each other and it's great because it only makes us better to carry a message of depth and weight but it said here steps one or what i heard was steps one through three Is where we get to know god steps four through seven is where we get to know
0: ourselves
1: eight through nine we get uh, we get to know others in step 10 we continue to get to know ourselves god and others and we practice that on a daily basis and if we go to step 12 it's almost like a microcosm of that as well because having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps God, we tried to carry this message to other, to alcoholics, others, and to practice these principles in all our affairs, self, God, others, self. So that's kind of what I'm going to focus on, because this idea of keeping on the firing lines is on page 102. And this is why the quote struck me so much, because, and let me just read it, actually. Your job is now to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. You know, firing line of life. It doesn't say firing line of sponsorship. It says firing line of life so it is all-encompassing. Because if I'm going to be of maximum service to others, I have to be on the firing lines of my recovery, meaning I'm working an active, current, with God, self, and others recovery program. We read it every day in a vision for you at the end of the meeting, the of the meeting you know, but obviously you can't give something that you don't have. It talks about it on page 45 as well. It says here, let me open up page 45 here. It says here, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. So in my mind, if the object or purpose for me in recovery is to find a God of my understanding, to give me the power to recover, and my job in that reading on page 102 is to be of maximum service, Well, then I better stay on the firing lines of life with myself and my own recovery and with working with others, with carrying the message and practicing these principles in all my affairs, God, others, self, God, self, others. So in looking at step 12, and I'm just going to give a disclaimer here, I had a major panic attack. Um, because, like Melanie said, there's a whole chapter, Reagnostics, dedicated to Step 12. The, in the AA 12 and 12, it's the biggest chapter. There's like 19 pages. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? But picking up the phone, yeah, using the tools of recovering and uh, talking to some folks, you know, I calmed down, and I broke it into ways that I know how to manage it. And I broke it into the exact three parts that I've been talking about. Practicing the principles in all my affairs, having had a spiritual awakening, and carrying the message. So I'm going to start with the spiritual awakening. After the completion of all the steps in getting to twelve, there is that awakening, that relationship with a power greater than myself that I choose to call God, and I'm going to keep just saying God for purposes of making it easy here, but. I realized that God was doing for me what I could not do for myself, and I needed to stay connected and plugged into that power. But I also had an awakening on a lot of other things throughout that process. I was awakened to the fact that I am a powerless compulsive overeater. You know, I am a pickle never to be a cucumber, that I have that twofold illness, physical allergy, mental obsession. And that I need a power greater than myself, a constant relationship with an ongoing, ongoing relationship with God via my step work. Because without it, I can't recover. I need that power greater than myself. But I also awakened to something else that I thought was really significant that I needed to really drill down and understand, which was the issue with me, myself, and I. I have a spiritual malady that goes underneath everything else. And that is listed or talked about on page 64. It says here, it taught, you know, they're talking about step four and resentment, but it says here, for we have not only been mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So this is not just an issue for me of being mentally and physically sick. It's an issue for me of being spiritually sick, a spiritual malady. And if you think about it, when it says step one, you know, we admitted that we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. I'm always thinking about the unmanageability of the externals right my life was definitely unmanageable because of my bulimia and compulsive eating and the consequences of that were horrific there's no doubt about that but what the what i started to understand through my step work is it's not about the external unmanageability it was about the internal unmanageability the spiritual malady or as they say the hole in the soul or the untreated alcoholism i mean all i need to do is go to page 52 put it in the I form, and I have myself described perfectly. It says here, I was having trouble with personal relationships. I couldn't control my emotional nature. I was prey to misery and depression. I couldn't make a living, and to me, that's be happy or successful in my work life. I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I couldn't be of real help to other people. There was something going on underneath all of that, and that was the internal unmanageability, or if you will, the spiritual malady. And I need God, and I need these steps, and I need you all to help me understand every day about that internal unmanageability, and that's what steps 10 through 12 are because that promise, is also a warning because if i don't address that internal unmanageability i will not straighten out mentally and physically page 133 says it best you know our twisted thinking does not vanish in a twinkling just because i get abstinent just because i work the 12 steps and i land on the you know island of recovery does not mean that i am cured i i deal with untreated compulsive eating or alcoholism myself me myself and i every day and if you think about it, there's like, there's like three phases to me. And I was reading about this, and I think it's, it makes it so important to understand. You know, if I backtrack from a relapse, the first bite is always the last part of a relapse. There's so much going on before that's happening. You know, when I ingest, I create the physical allergy, right? That's the first level. But under that is a second level. It's the insanity and the crazy thinking in my mind before I take that first bite. And that's the mental obsession. But under that is a third layer. That's the restless, irritable, and discontent. But it never occurred to me to really think about, well, what's triggering the ridge? What's underneath that? And that's the spiritual malady. I mean, I read you the bedevilments, but here are a few more. The big book talks about them. This is on page 60 and 61. It talks about, I am the actor. I want to run the whole show. I am driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Page 62. Again, on 62, I am self-will run riot. Now, that's not grammatically correct, but I think you get what I'm saying here. Page 73, I lead a double life. Page 82, I am like a tornado running through the lives of others. Again, go back to 62. Sorry, I know I'm throwing out a bunch of pages here, but page 62, so our troubles we think are of our own making. So by the time I get to step 12, I realize that I am awakened to a spiritual malady that is underneath my restless, irritable discontent, which triggers my mental obsession, which then triggers my physical allergy. And that if I don't address these selfish, self-centered behaviors, not the food, abstinence takes care of that, I need a power greater than myself to address those selfish, self-centered behaviors. Because if not, I will relapse I cannot have neutrality with food. I'm sorry, let me summarize that. I can have neutrality with food, the abstinence, and not trigger the physical allergy. But unless I address the spiritual malady, me, myself, and I, and my self-centered behavior and old ideas about life that trigger the mental obsession, I cannot stay neutral. I can't stay stopped. The food will always eventually call. And I will answer because I can't live in my own skin with the restless irritable and discontent, the rids, or as I've heard, itchy, bitchy, and twitchy. Moreover, without God's help, I am doomed. I don't have the power to change me. Step six and seven. Boy, that made things crystal clear. I thought for sure once I understood my character de- defects, I understood what was going on inside of me that somehow I could then fix myself. Well, that didn't work. I can't fix my character defects, remove my character defects, any more than I could remove my compulsive eating. That comes from a relationship with God and my practicing these principles, these steps, and all my affairs. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, this was pre-recovery, and it's not like I, this is hindsight 2020, I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but I I remember, you know how you remember certain relapses clear as day, others maybe not so much, but I remember this one. Uh, First job, and uh, and I was in a way just not recovered and just sort of working the program willy-nilly and relapsing, like I said, in and out, those first almost five years, and I was sitting at a uh, staff meeting in the morning, and I had done a job that I was asked to do, and I was sitting in the staff meeting, and the boss said, Amy, why didn't you get that job done? And I'm like, wait a minute, I did get it done. You know, it's here, you know, here it is, right? And he said, oh, okay, no apology, nothing, right? And I'm like,
2: Oh my gosh
1: don't they understand the work that I've been doing I can't believe I just got accused he didn't apologize oh my gosh he must think I'm awful I'm gonna get fired I mean can you hear what is going on right now selfishness self-centeredness I'm like uh, I can't believe it I can't believe it I walk out of that meeting and and I'm thinking gosh you know this is awful and I'm thinking oh my gosh okay then I get a call from my mother and I, sh- I wind up getting really upset with her and I'm thinking she's demanding me of something, demanding of something. I perceive she's demanding something of me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my boss demands this of me. My mom demands this this of me. I can't believe people don't understand how hard I am working. Look at me. I don't understand why I'm not recognized. And then again going to, oh, my gosh, I'm just this awful person. No one cares about me. I mean, this is just going on and on. I mean, I don't know about you all, but do you sometimes feel like you have, like, a board meeting of, of board members in your head that are just waiting to ambush you into discontentment? and fear within like you know 30 seconds so all this stuff is going on and i'm going about through my day and all of a sudden suddenly it occurs to me and where do we hear that from jim of course it occurs to me that i don't really feel like my salad today for lunch i had packed an abstinence salad but you know what i don't feel like having that salad i want i don't know maybe i'll just go somewhere else and find something else and then again it occurs to me you know Those carob-colored, carob-covered almonds that are in the little dish at the reception area, those are almonds. Those are like a fat. You know what? I don't need to eat my salad dressing. I'll just eat my salad raw, and I'll have those for my fat. You can guess what happens from there, folks. Then starts a handful of chocolate-covered almonds. I'm thinking they're not really chocolate. It's vanilla. It's not chocolate. I mean, the insanity, the insanity. It's like whiskey in the milk. Hence, takes one handful, I'll only have one, then there's another handful, oh, I'll start again, my abstinence on Monday, and then comes stealing the entire bowl, okay, going into the bathroom, binging on them, and then continuing the binge, then purging, and then goes 72 hours of another binge. And, And it goes on and on from there, folks. I mean, even if we go to Jim's story, remember, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life right and then he has a few words with his boss can you imagine what's going through his head i used to own this freaking car company right who's him to tell me what to do because he failed to practice the principles in all his affairs right so all of a sudden suddenly which we know is the end of the relapse right the mental obsession has been triggered and he thinks oh it's a great idea i can put whiskey in the milk right the spiritual malady to me is the inward unmanageability. And unless addressed, right, then I've got some serious problems here. Um, you know, and, and, and it's here's an example. And, and it's not like I woke up, you know, once I finished. I, I still deal with this spiritual malady on a regular basis. So, for example, it's just a while back. I can give you another example for me. Um, in recovery, okay? This is recovered, right? But thank God I have this program and I have a new way of living and a new way of acting and a new way of responding because it's come through practice, right? Practice is principle in all our affairs. I'll give you another example. I have to be honest with you, again, another disclaimer. I probably spent more time on what these examples are because I didn't want you guys to see me as a crazy person even though I'm recovered after all this time, which is just bullshit and that's getting up in my head again, so I just wanted to give you that disclaimer. Okay? So anyways, a while back, um I had my family, I was having my family over for dinner. Now, I'm a diplomat kid, and I've learned through my step work that my how I define myself is not based on how my house looks, how I'm seen on the outside. I know that about me, but still, it's an issue. And I'm having my family over. I don't have them over often. And I'm having them over, and I've said, I, and I'm freaking out because my house is not clean the way it should be, and my husband has not done the errand, the yard work that I want him to do. So I approach him on the day, and I'm saying, okay, this stuff's not done. It needs to get done. And I'm proud of myself because we had a very good and a very collaborative conversation. I mean, we've been married for 25 years, okay? So I'm thinking it's all good, right? So that morning, I'm supposed to speak at a meeting on Zoom, right? And I sit down at my meeting, and I guess the first clue would have been maybe I shouldn't have done that the day of, but, you know, service called, so... I'm speaking at the meeting. I sit down five minutes before the meeting and I say to myself, okay, quietly meditation because that's what we do. We practice meditation. And I sit down to quiet my mind to ask God to speak through me. And all of a sudden, I hear this
2: huge
1: racket outside the window of where I speak. It is a weed whacker, okay? My
2: husband
1: is working the weed whacker outside my window. I can't think straight. The noise is atrocious. So you should have seen me, guys. I mean, I'm, like, banging on the window, and I'm saying,
3: I can't believe you're doing this.
1: Don't you know how important it is that I'm supposed to be sitting here
3: speaking,
1: yada, yada, yada? And I'm banging on the window, and my husband moves away from the window. You can see the look on his face. He is not happy with me. And then, of course, I have to sit down, and I have to present, okay? A few minutes in, I try to quiet my mind. And this is why practices is so important, because when I quiet my mind through having practiced my 11th step and I try to meditate, a thought occurs to me, Amy, he's only doing what you asked him to do. And all of a sudden, the personality change occurs. And this is why recovery is so important in practicing, because I didn't have to go all the way down through those levels and phases of a relapse. I addressed the spiritual malady, and I went... After the meeting was done, and I shared about it in the meeting, and I went afterwards and I apologized to my husband because I knew that I was in the wrong. And then I picked up the phone and I called the newcomer and said, How can I be of service to you? Because that's how this program works. So I've talked a lot about the spiritual awakening and how important that is, and how I need that relationship to a higher power, but I need a working program, and the only way to do that is to address to practice these principles in all our affairs. I know it's a little bit out of order in how it's read with the steps, but I think it flows well, which is practice. And that's all I'm really gonna focus on for this part. It's practicing these principles in all my affairs. Definition of practice is to perform an activity or an exercise or skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. And that's what we do. We practice on a daily basis. I don't think God looks for perfection for me. I think God looks for my persistence. And that's what I do when I practice over and over again, you know, in my own bumbling way, these steps on a regular basis. You know, repetition is the father of learning. I must practice these principles every day with everyone, everywhere, so that, my, so that when I deal with that spiritual malady, my selfish, self-centered ways, I then find a way to stop because of these program because of this program and how I practice. Let me give you another quick example. And this is just yesterday again in my humility here. We are going away on vacation. I have a we have an RV and I'm cleaning the inside of the RV and I'm working my ass off and I'm done and I go to pack my clothes and there are there's like these little cabinets and these drawers, right? And I'm pissed because I'm in there and my husband who used the RV a couple weeks ago has shirts willy-nilly everywhere, and I'm pissed because I want room in those cabinets, in those cupboards. So I go over to my husband in a huff and I say, you know, are you going to keep all your shit in those cabinets? Because I would like some room, okay? My husband turns to me, and he says to me, Amy, all you needed to do was ask if I could take that stuff out which I would be happy to do. Boom, okay, personality transformation at that moment. Because the reality was I was so busy cleaning and wanting recognition for the fact that I cleaned the RV. It really wasn't about the clothes in the cabinet. It was the fact that I wanted someone to say, hey, you did a great job. When in reality, my husband does so much more, okay, around that RV than it does for me taking a few hours to clean the RV on the inside. I mean, really? So again, I apologize, and I said, you know what, you're absolutely right. I said, could you please remove and give me a couple of those cabinets? I'd really appreciate it. You see, it's the stuff that's going on underneath folks that I need to pay attention to. And if not, when someone says it to me, I need to be willing to humbly concede and apologize. Again, I don't always work this program perfectly. Like you said, I'm giving you, like I said, these examples. Okay, but I think, Bill describes it best on page uh, 14. It says here, my friend emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly, it was imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. So the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all affairs. So it's not just about carrying the message in step 12. It's about am I practicing these principles in all my affairs? Am I staying current and spiritually awakened awakened to who and what I am and how I can behave in selfish and self-centered ways? And a note on this faith without works is dead thing. I don't know. I don't know about you all, but sometimes I get the impression that when I hear this word faith without works is dead, and, and, and we hear it a lot, that somehow it's like I have faith while I am doing the works, right, that faith comes first or something like that, that I'm always having faith. And, you know, thanks to this program, again, I have a relationship with God. I believe in God. But I'm telling you, when crisis hits, and, and hit life, that's the way life is, life hits hard, in all honesty, I, I, I lose some of that faith. I, I, I lose some of that belief. I question. I struggle. I think it's only human to do that. But does that mean I stop doing the work? No. So sometimes the work has to come first, and then the faith comes. So I, you know, and and then I realize my faith returns, and I realize that God has been there all along. And there's a saying in the rooms that says, "If you don't feel close to God, who moved?" Right? That's that's me. And I just felt like it was important to say that because I don't think I don't I don't think I don't want to be represented that just because we recovered, that we don't have struggles in our faith, even though we've had that spiritual awakening. Um, I hope that makes sense. And now I'm just going to wrap up with the phase about carrying the message to others. Uh, how's my time? Okay, I see. Um, there's just a few notes to me on carrying the message to others. I mean, I, there are a lot of special editions, with speakers much more eloquent than I that go into the details of sponsorship. And and, and if you have issues, look them up and listen to them. They are fantastic. So I just have a few thoughts on this idea of sponsorship. And first for me is such a debt of gratitude to the sponsors who have sponsored me. i i I can't even begin to express my gratitude on that one there have been so many ebbies in my life you know pre-recovered and after but i can tell you they have taught me so many things and i and that's why it's a we fellowship and i know that there's a lot of fear about sponsoring right about am i going to do it right or whatever you know but the message is we are only messengers of the program God chooses the message, and how that message is received is out of my control. I have to leave room for God to work. We are only seed planters. That's all all that we are. And these sponsors along the way have taught me so much, and I'm going to pass that on to you because it's been my experience. One is to never water down the program. The message is the message. I can't water it down for your sake because that will only kill you and kill me, right? Because not literally, but it's not, it's not a message if it's watered down. And that sometimes tough love is appropriate. Not always, okay, but sometimes, at least for someone like me, I had someone, a sponsor, say to me, Amy, if your way is working so well, why are you here? I needed to hear that message. I needed to finally surrender. And then there are three magic words in sponsorship, three incredible words in sponsorship that I've been taught, which is to say to sponsees humbly, I don't know, right? I am not God, okay? And there are certainly things in sponsorship that I don't have experience with. And my sponsors have taught me to say, I don't know, let me get back to you, and I go and talk to my recovered network, and I ask them. I, I know people sometimes say, well, you go ask some recovered spon- some recovered uh, people, the see that, but I think it's important to do my own homework. I may tell them to go ask some people, but I'm going to go ask some recovered people myself. I am not going to wing it. I'm not going to make things up, and I'm not going to pretend that I have experience with something that I don't have experience with. And I will tell you, it isn't about me. It's about being a messenger of the message and it's difficult sometimes because this is a chronic relapse prone disease and i can tell you this is a one day at a time program the one who got up earliest has the most abstinence i'm 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 not all that but i can tell you that after having sponsored for decades now you know there is a statistic that i see all the time and that for every say eight to ten people i sponsor one to two get it get recovered and get it and it's it's appalling and it's true but that's why we stay on the firing line we never know when we say something whether we continue to sponsor that person or not that's going to have impact in the future that finally the seed god fertilizes and says the person is ready never underestimate the power of what one person can say or do to another when it comes to carrying this message to the still-suffering compulsive eater. I'll give you a perfect example, and I'll wrap up with this. When I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, I was struggling, and I wanted to die, and I heard people, I mean, I'd never heard the word compulsive eater before. I heard things about doing things with food that I thought no one else ever did, and I thought, oh, my gosh, could this be me? Is this where I need to be? And then you all mentioned the word God. And me, firmly entrenched in my agnosticism, I got up in the middle of the meeting, and I left. I stomped out. You knew why I was mad, little Miss Drama Queen. I walked out of that meeting to never come back, and so I thought. But then someone, someone, you all, God with skin on, in that meeting, still brings me to tears, followed me out of that meeting. She did not try to convince me about God. All she said to me was, Amy, the only requirement for membership, no, no, she said, Amy, you are welcome here. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop being crazy with food. You are welcome. Please come back. And she handed me that pamphlet from Overeaters Anonymous, Are You a Compulsive Overeater? There's 15 questions on it. We still have that pamphlet today. It's a great pamphlet what we call a pamphlet, it's online now as well. And she said, here is this pamphlet, please come back. If you choose to, we welcome you. And that was the 15 questions I answered yes to every single one. Talk about a splash of cold water into my face. That person was the fertilizer for the seed that was planted, and I came back. This program, when we carry the message, we have a purpose now. Remember, we have a job and we have a purpose. And it is to carry this message. And, you know, again, I'm not all that. Page 17, my favorite quote in the entire book is that we have a common solution. There's no secret code. If I can do it, you can do it. We have a common solution upon which we can absolutely agree and join and brotherly and harmonious action. We do not have to die slow suicide on the layaway plan of this disease. We have a way out by serving, by being of service to others, to ourselves, and to God. We recover. That's what step 12 is about to me. And with that, I will pass. Thanks for
0: letting me share. Mm, Amy G., thank you so much. That was a sweeping teaching from your experience. You described so well work boots on the floor every day of your life through this recovery plan and the vulnerable pieces of being able to share so everyone knows. I wish we talked about it much more often
2: that we're human
0: <laughs> and things look the same from the, as a newcomer point of view as we've been in here for a while when we meet certain situations. Thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability and this comprehensive presentation this morning. I was very touched and, and eagerly on the edge of my seat for it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It only comes from experience through wisdom. Thanks again. We'll ask Amy for her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting, so stay with us and listen up for that, you folks. The share ID number for today, Sunday, June 26, 2022, is 19107, 19107. So the lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Amy, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Offer your first name. The first Tina, of your last name, please. And once you've asked your question, just promptly press star one again on your phone keypad. Anyone? Good want morning. To ask Amy, a question this morning. Yes. Good morning.
4: This is Elise from Nid Florida. I was... Late getting on and I've heard maybe the last five or ten minutes and I have attention deficit disorder and it was amazing. I just Elise, can you not... give me just
0: one second? I'm gonna get a lineup of other folks and we're gonna get ready. You wanna ask a question? Oh, sure, no Is problem, that what I'm no problem. Okay, hang, hang tight. Just a second, Elisa. You, you. bet Elise. Okay, who else Linda, would like R- to ask a question? Linda R. Linda R. Hi
2: Leslie mm-hmm. Rachel w. W. Leslie W hmm Diane G. Branca. Diane G. Uh, B- Rachel Bianca J. Uh, Just a
3: second. Bianca?
2: Branca. 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 Branca.
0: I'm gonna call it. I may not pronounce it just right, but I bet we'll guess who you are when we come up. Sorry for the for the blunder there. Who, did you say Rachel? Did I hear Rachel?
3: Yes, Rachel J.
2: F- Rachel J, okay. L- Loretta
0: J. H. Loretta H. Kathy K. I got you, Kathy. Thanks. Good morning to you. Just You're just before Loretta. Do we catch everybody I had a question so far? We'll give another opportunity probably. So right now we have, and hang on just a second, I'll name you all off, Elise, Linda, Leslie, Diane, I'm going to say Bianca, Rachel, Kathy, and Loretta. First up with your question
3: this morning, if you want to press star one again, Elise, it's open. Star one, real quick, Elise, for your question.
4: Oh, hi.
3: There you I, are.
4: I don't know whether to laugh or cry or jump up and down because I'm so excited about OA that I probably haven't ever been for the past two and a half years. I Again, I, I started out that I have attention deficit, And I cannot remember to do things over and over and over again. I'm going, wait a minute. It's all about practice. It's all about doing what you need to do to have your life work the way you want it to work. Um, And then all, and I'm on like step nine with the men's, and I go, hello. My goodness, this fits my life. Whatever Amy said is exactly where I'm at. It's like, you know, I haven't. And have not been practicing doing the right things the past couple of weeks. Um, I have long-haul COVID. At least
0: just one second here. I just wanted to be encouraging you to ask your question because we're eager to hear what the answer might be for
4: you. So, Amy, Mm -hmm. when you don't forget or don't remember what you need to do or upset somebody or get mad, is it always thinking about yourself instead of other people? Is that why it winds up to be that if you don't continue to practice, then you're not going to get to the to the place you want to be? That and I'll pass it on. Thank you, thank you for sure. serving. Thank you so much. Uh,
3: sure,
1: Elise. Um, first of all, I just want to say uh, my son was diagnosed with. ADHD, and I have a new understanding where I did not before, and uh, and I just, I appreciate you. And um, there's a quote in the big book that says, you know, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. And a lot of times I think, geez, I, I step on my own toes and I fall on my face because of my selfish, self-centered behavior. And that's what I think they mean by untreated alcoholism in the big book and untreated compulsive eating that you know my my MO my default is to want to be thinking about me and what i want and what makes me comfortable you know i want to live in my own skin and i want to be comfortable and i want it my way and that's just the way that i am but the reality is i don't have to live that way i can recognize it and through practice 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 then I can learn to be a different way. That's why 10 steps are so important because I surrender to God in humility that I can't do this perfectly and I have to practice it and I need God's power to help me to do it. But, you know, there's this saying, pray to God, row to shore. I have to be rowing in that way. And then I start to understand that God is doing for myself what I could not do. Right? Like the ninth step, you know, my agnosticism, I struggled with that all the way through. And, and by the time I got to step nine, I started to truly see a relationship with a higher power because of the work that was being done. I took that leap of faith and then I saw, and I believed because God did for me what I could not do clearly in those amends, what I could not do for myself. And all I did was suit up and show up. And when I practice something over and over again, it becomes like breathing. You know, amends become like breathing. Humility, I don't know, How, who cares about winning an argument I want to live in my own skin. I want to be free. Leah says that all the time. How free do you want to be? And I want to be able to live in my own skin, and I want to be able to serve others. I want to get out of myself because guess what? I'm a lot happier serving others. That's why it's so important that we carry the message, not only because of our own recovery, because of how it makes me feel. I like serving others. So that repetition for me is key.
0: Anyways, I'll pass with that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Elise, for your question this morning. Next up is Linda R. from Florida. Your question, please. Thank you so much for your service and everyone on the line. Linda R. from South Florida.
1: Amy, thank you so much. You know, I just, my question has to do with RID.
4: You know, I'm in program many years, and I'm always looking for some new things, to like new insights, new things to, you know, work on spiritually, growth. And I'm asking you the question, which was so cool today. I heard something I've never heard before. You can't get rid of the ridge.
0: So could you just tell us, me and everyone else, how, when the ridge
1: comes up, what are the strategies that you take? You know, we know the food, you know, but but when the ridge comes up, what do you do in program and in recovery to not let it build up? Thank you. Great. Thanks. A great question. And, and again, that's where the understanding that underneath the RIDs, for me, is the idea of the spiritual malady you know and 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 understand that and 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 we learn through practicing the 12 steps in our daily lives that there is this um there is this malady so i have to learn how to talk program to myself instead of listening to the crap in my head for example so when i feel feel myself angry right i feel something bubbling up that something's going on the program has taught me that there are any number of ways that i can address that so for example i gave you the example of me sitting down and and meditating and quieting my mind and all of a sudden the answer became clear about what was going on inside of me right there are other ways that god talks to me god talks to me when i pick up the phone when i'm upset i mean we have this 10-step train which is which is fantastic but before that i had a phone attached to the wall and it was an organic 10-step i was upset So I pick up the phone, right? You all taught me to do that, and I say, God, help me, and then you talk to me. You talk program to me. When I can't talk program to me, recovered people in the fellowship talk program to me, right? So I pick up the phone, and I say, this is what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Or I I have a sponsor telling me, go write about it. And there's something that's amazing to me that when, you know, something when you put pen to paper, when I'm just writing, that honesty comes up. And I realize that I am at the bottom of it all. In most cases, you are absolutely right. It is self-centered. Fear is a big one. That's usually the springboard for most of it. Fear, self-centered delusions, like I'm the center of the universe or I have more than 24 hours in the day than you do, right? It is usually about me. Another funny thing, you know, 24 hours of the day, 23 hours I'm thinking about me, the last hour I'm thinking about what you think of me, right? So That's the honesty. And so when I use the steps and the tools, then I have a way to act differently. And so it's the repeating those things, repeating those 10 steps, continuing in prayer and meditation, continuing in that relationship with God, continuing in service to others. I can't tell you how many times I've been upset about something and I pick up the phone and I talk to someone who's struggling and what they're going through and I'd be of service to them. I hang up the phone and all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, this is not a big deal. I'm okay. You know, I've been given perspective or sometimes they even answer the question for me through their own shares to me. And they're the newcomer, right? And yet they've helped me. So without a pass, thanks for the question.
0: Thank you, Linda R., for your question. Next up with a question will be Leslie W. And then following her will be Diane G. Good morning, Leslie. Star one, please.
5: Hey, thanks, Melanie. Good morning. This is Leslie W., Recovered Compulsive web Breeder in Tennessee. Thank you so much for your service, your dedicated, committed service. And thank you, Amy, for your share, for offering so much of yourself today. And I love um, the opportunity to ask questions um, that on this special edition. And my question to you is um, I love how you talked about your husband and, you know, you opened yourself up to talk about ways that you can be selfish, and um I too am cut from the same cloth and my husband and i will will have noticed a pattern with us where we'll get into arguments some late at night once the day is over um right before bed and you know my question to you is it's it's ten o'clock at night um you have a fight with your husband in the bed you do you, a lot of times, I, I will not do a 10-step at that point. I will go to sleep, wake up in the morning, deal with it then. Um, but, you know, I don't know that that's the best way to handle it because I'm still feeling icky the next day and I still have damage to undo. What what would you do or how have you handled situations like that in the past um, when the day is done and you're spent and you're, and you have an argument. How would you proceed? That's my question. Thank you.
1: Hey, Leslie. Thanks for the question. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, I've learned this. is called the triple R's. It's actually stolen from our sister fellowship of well, AA, sister fellowship, whatever. Um, the refrain, reflect, and respond. Um, instead of (laughs) react reload and refire but this refraining reflect and respond my feeling is on those types of situations that sometimes the best thing that I can do even though I'm uncomfortable in my own skin is to understand that the best thing I can do is either remove myself from the situation or just say nothing at all which is to keep my mouth shut because if I am emotional it clouds my ability to respond in a healthy manner in a recovered manner yeah especially if it's really real and inside of me and i'm upset and i feel icky inside and i need to keep my mouth shut because also in service to other service to others my job is to also not only figure out what's going on with me but to not take hostages in the process and if I have to sit in a little bit of discomfort in order to make sure that I can speak clearly and without criticism or judgment, then it is better that I sit with that discomfort and uh, deal with my sponsor or my ten step or something till I can get clarity before I continue in that argument. I mean, I know there's a saying, never go to bed on your anger or whatever, but the reality is is that I have to make sure, that I'm not going to continue in an argument in a way that's going to hurt others because that's not how we live in this program, not at the expense of others, to feel okay at the expense of others, but to then get clarity. Because if I can't get clarity and I can't talk program to myself, like I said in the last question, then I have to call someone else to help give me clarity, God with skin on, or I have to sit quietly and I have to pray and I have to meditate. I have to I have to practice those principles till I can find my way through to what it is that is going on with me and how to respond in a way that is not detrimental to uh, my relationships. Again,
0: don't do it perfectly, but that's how I would respond. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Leslie. W for your G with a question, and it'll be followed by Bianca. Diane Hi there. <laughs> Hi. This, can you hear
1: me now? Mm-hmm, I can. Okay. Hi. This is Diane G. I'm a greatly recovered compulsive reader from Canada, and I've been in the program for 16 months. And I have to say, the first time I worked through the steps, um, it didn't clear my brain fog. I still had confusion. I was confused about the promises the traditions. And even the promises that were read at every meeting, it said, no matter how far down the scale you've gone. Well, in my sick mind, I thought that that was a weight scale because I'd been everywhere from 115 pounds to 200 pounds till I realized this is written by um, alcoholics and they would have had nothing to do with the scale. And so I've worked through the steps again and now I feel I'm in a spot to do sponsorship. But my dilemma is, My husband is very threatened with this program. He doesn't understand it. Um, He doesn't think it's necessary that I participate with a sponsor or uh, that I'm talking to people all over the world. And I think he quite liked me the way I used to be. And so I'm just wondering, my question is, um, step 12 and sponsorship, like, I can make outreach calls and um, participate in program, but I just don't feel I can, I, I don't have um, the,
3: the the ability to be a sponsor with my husband being so resentful to the program. And on that, I'll pass. I'm, I'm not sure what the question is though. Could you, oh, the oh, question sorry. about the whether question is, or not you should sponsor? over there i lost her or i can you star one real
0: quick Di- yeah Di- yeah i can uh press star one real quick like diane and, and see if we can clarify
3: the question here i sorry about that sorry i apologize oh, uh, my question is i'm worried about that
1: uh I don't want to feel like I'm not doing the prop program properly because I'm not sponsoring,
3: but I am sharing the message by making outreach calls. Is that the question? Okay. Well, yes. let me just say this. Uh, um,
1: let me just say this. You know, uh, there are a couple of chapters in the in the big book. You know, the family afterward that I think would be helpful, to wives, just swapping it to husbands, okay, that I think are very informative and very helpful. And I recommend, you know, definitely going through those. Um, But here's the thing. The program is the program. And if I don't work the program, then I'm not recovered. And then I die slowly of this disease. So, you know, you get on an airplane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first. I, I cannot sacrifice my recovery program. That doesn't mean I don't collaborate and I can't work with, you know, find compromise, sorry. Uh, but when it comes to what it is that I this program requires, I have to find a way to be able to explain and say, even if they don't understand, that this is what I have to do. It's not really optional. Sponsorship, carrying the message, as the big book dictates, I'm not making this up, is not optional. It's not optional. We should be more afraid to not sponsor than to sponsor. We definitely can carry the message. There's no doubt about that. But they're saying working with other compulsive eaters, that's pretty specific to me. And, I, I mean, I'm not a marriage counselor, and I'm not saying to go get in an argument. But at some point, I will tell you that I had to say to my, my husband and, and, and say to my family and to my children, and there have been phases of that over the years, of how my program interacts with our marriage and in my raising of children. And that was sort of sit-down conversations, not an emotion to say, this is what I need to do, how can we work it in, because I had to humbly admit that I had limitations I need to work my program. Now they may have liked you the way you were before, but that doesn't it, that means nothing. What means what's important for me today on a re- regular basis is to be able to work my program and be who God wants me to be through the process of these 12 steps and carrying the message to the still suffering compulsive eater. That's the bottom line for me because otherwise I don't have any other choice. And I can express my appreciation, and I can listen to what others have to say, but I still have to work my program, no matter what. My relationship to God via this program is number one, and it has to be in order for me to survive and live in my own skin. There is compromise, and there is communication that needs to be happening with those around me, but that, that's just the bottom line for me. I hope that
0: helps. Thank you very much, Diane, for your question this morning. Next up is Bianca, followed by Rachel. Hi, it's Branca. Branca.
3: Thank you. Yes, Branca. Yeah, your question.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. I have two questions. One would be how to know if
1: I am recovered enough to carry the message in a form of being a sponsor and not just, Uh, Other ways of service that would be one question and second question uh, my understanding of spiritual malady is Basically that my character defects are very 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 pronounced Uh, Is that correct is that in line with what you're saying? Um, And those would be two questions. Thank you Okay,
2: so what is okay,
1: so for being recovered and being able to sponsor, I mean, for me, I can just, I mean, you work through the 12 steps. Obviously, you can't transmit something you haven't got. It says it right there on page 164. What that means is that I'm working with a sponsor, or I can just say with my sponsees, I'm working with my sponsees. They are abstinent. They are worked through the steps. They're refraining from compulsive eating, compulsive food behaviors while working towards maintaining healthy body weight. Okay? Abstinence, that's done. We have worked through the steps. We have at least gotten to step nine where they have completed their amends and they are in the active maintenance steps of 10, 11, and 12. It is at that point that I encourage them, require them if they want me to keep sponsoring them to get a a sponsee, to put their name out there. And these days, You know, there's a lot of ways we can do it. Vision for You is offered, you know, at the end of that second hour is to put your name out there. I'm almost to, to the point now where you just don't say you're available. You go look for a sponsor. You go look out there. You put your name out there. If you go to a meeting, there's a newcomer. You offer yourself for sponsorship. I don't think we can afford to wait to not start doing the message. And then the other is the idea of the spiritual malady, I think you were asking, I should write these things down, um, is, is what's going on underneath, right? What is going on underneath? So I think you, if I under, remember correctly, it's, it's, it's the selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed fear um, behavior that's going on underneath that triggers the restless irritable discontent, that then triggers the mental obsession, that then gives the crazy thinking credence to then pick up the food and take the bite. And I hope that helps.
0: Thank you very much for your question this morning. Next up Thanks. is Ra- Rachel J and then followed by
3: Kathy K. Rachel, your question first. Star one. Rachel J, did you have a question this morning? Perhaps not. I'm hearing some noise, but I'm not sure if we're getting through. Is that Rachel Jay?
0: We're gonna move on to Kathy Kaye for her question. And Rachel, if that is you, if you can work at some Uh, things in which we can be able to hear you, then we'll work through that. But otherwise, Kathy Kay, your question. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. And thank you, Amy. It was wonderful to hear you today. Um, the question that I'd like to
3: pose... Oh, hello? Hello? Hi, I thought I was unmuted. I'm so sorry. It's Rachel J.
0: Kathy, do you mind just hanging on one more second? It That's does look like fine. Rachel was able to come through. Do you mind? Okay, great. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I'm okay, so Rachel, sorry. I
4: thought I was unmuted. Did you guys hear what I said
0: at all or now? This is the first time we've heard you. Oh, Welcome okay. Down. I Where am are you? so... Where are you I from? Agree. Where are you from, Rachel? Where I'm from, from Rachel? New Jersey. I greatly apologize. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Let's go. We can have your we can have your question now though. We're glad to have it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your service, too. Um, So I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll be quick. I've recently been venturing into looking for a sponsor and have been told by some sponsors my issue is the first compulsive bite, that it is not about a physical allergy when I will compulsive overeat on anything.
4: This idea is really tripping me up. Can you help me understand the idea of it being twofold? Because I do understand that I am not spiritually fit. And I need a higher power, but I don't want to become a dieter with group support well um
3: the The bottom line is i mean we re
1: we repeat you know rinse wash repeat every day on vision for you uh the twofold nature of this illness physical allergy mental obsession. And I realized, like, for example, I said that my triggers are sugar, high-fat, flour, and volume. I can start binging on carrots, but I'll always wind up in the sugar and the high-fat and the flour. But the volume is the trigger. So uh, I definitely have
3: ingredients
1: that are triggers and create the allergic reaction. What is the allergic reaction? The phenomenon of craving. And that's the bottom line there is the mental obsession, the craziness, right, that gives me an excuse to think that regardless of consequences, the insanity of some stupid, crazy thinking that allows me permission to say that, oh, the best idea I had all day is to put that food in my mouth, which then triggers the allergy. The spiritual malady underneath it all is those behaviors, that thinking, that selfishness. So I'm not sure why they are telling you that it's not what it is. But I don't think there needs to be tripping up of thinking. The bottom line is there needs to be a food plan that is minus, if you know we're following what the big book says here is that there needs to be a food plan that is a line in the sand that defines the abstinence so that you're not eating the volume or the ingredients that triggers the physical allergy and then you work the steps to address what is the spiritual malady? What is going on underneath it all? The internal unmanageability. The external unmanageability gets dealt with by the abstinence. It's the internal unmanageability that we deal with through the process of working the steps, getting a relationship with a power greater than ourselves, and then practicing that, practicing those principles. So I would just suggest getting a sponsor that's very clear with you on that and who has recovered and worked the 12 steps. I hope that helps.
0: Thank you very much. Rachel J for your question and Kathy Kay, thanks for stepping by for just thanks, a second. Melanie. Your question, please. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Amy too. Um, it's great to hear you. I am um thinking about what you said uh about sometimes feeling far from God and knowing that it's you that's moved away. And I I feel that often at And yet I don't feel like I have clarity about what to do to get closer again. So I wonder if you could tell me what you do when you feel like you're
3: far away from God.
1: Okay. Uh, Just real quick on the last question, something that just popped into my head that I wanted to say. Um, I get how some of this stuff can trip us up, especially in early recovery and, and not thinking clearly. And one of the most, important things the sponsor said to me once is we're not going to think we're going to do we act our way into new way of thinking believing and being recovered we don't think our way there so for me it's really not an issue of you know if we can't get clarity on it i think it's important to actually do i hope i hope that helps i wanted to add that in there (laughs) um as far as feeling far away from from higher power and the question of of what to do and how that feels i think you know I heard once that, you know, one of the biggest issues for us as addicts in any whatever manifestation is the inability to accept reality as it is, like keeping my head where my feet are, living in the present, you know. And when I find I'm far away from God is when I'm projecting into the wreckage of the future or I'm obsessing about the past, you know, if I can stay in the present. I find that allows me to come back to God a lot easier because I'm staying in the present. And when I think about what God has done for me, what God is doing for me, I have a faith. You know, it's not that I stop. and that's what I need to make very clear just because I'm struggling in my faith doesn't mean that I, I don't believe in God, that I've stopped believing in my higher power. That's, that's not the case at all. I just need to sort of reconnect and sometimes I have to go through the motions of still doing what I'm doing, be abstinent, work the steps, do my 10 steps, all of that, and just sort of sit quietly. One of the hardest things for me to do is to, is to wait, is to wait and, let, and, 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 and understand that I'm okay, that my higher power's got me, God's got me, right? My history shows me God's got me. And even though I'm in a really uncomfortable uncomfortable place and I'm hurting, that God is there. And sometimes the most valuable thing I can do is the one slogan I love in OA more than any other is to act as if. Because I have to act as if that God is still there even though I don't feel God there. And sure enough, God is there. And that's how I choose to see it because everything that I have gone through, I have always seen God there. Now, it's not always been the answers that I have wanted or sought. But I am okay, and I know that God
0: loves me. I hope that helps. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for your question. Loretta H. Is it Loretta H.? Yeah, Loretta H., your question this morning, please. And then I think we might have time to eke out one, maybe two more questions. If you have time. Thank you. Hey, Loretta. Hi, Melody and...
1: Thank you, Amy. You're the gift that keeps on giving every time I hear you. You're saving my life along with my precious God. My question is, is um, what is your action plan for the day? And if, when a lot of things pop up and keep reoccurring, do you do a four-step on them? I do tens, but do you then go back and do a four-step on it? So that is my question, because I want the neutrality today to live in my reality. Thank you.
5: Thanks, Loretta. Um so action plan for the day.
1: Um I roll out of the bed and I my knees hit the floor first and I am saying third step prayer. Um and I'm asking God to continue to give me a blessing another day of
2: abstinence
1: and recovery, sanity and sobriety and uh then i go about my day i connect with my network on a regular basis via the phone um i'm always looking to be a service i have multiple sponsees in the morning um so i go downstairs in the morning uh before anyone else is up and well now it's just my husband <laughs> my kids are, well actually now they're back home but anyways i have adult children i go downstairs I do my prayer and meditation. I do reading and writing related to program. Um, And then I start taking my sponsee calls. All of that happens first thing in the morning. And um, then I go about the day with meal prep. I take calls. I make calls in the fellowship. um, And I go about my day. I try to take moments of taking deep breaths and asking God in and relieving God out and getting self out. Um, I go about my day if something comes up that has me uncomfortable. I'm picking up the phone and I'm addressing it if I can't think it through. Um, and then I'm addressing on a weekly basis. I have a weekly plan. I mean, we talk about daily action plans a lot, but I think it's important to also address in long-term recovery as well as weekly plans because I can't just say I'm going to go to a meeting here and there. It's important for me and others to know that I'm in meetings or I'm on Zoom or it used to be I used to go to meetings. On you know Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, uh, those are my commitments to the day. I have sponsees, for example, that give me their weekly a weekly. I ask for them to pull out a weekly planner, and we plug in their program stuff uh, first. Then we plug in their their work stuff, their family commitments, those kinds of things, so that we can get an idea of of making sure that we're covering all the bases. Um, and then there was a second question. I think there was action plans. Uh, oh, the reoccurring, the reoccurring issues. Um, that OK, it becomes very clear if it's repetitive. I agree. If it's something that's in a 10-step that continues to rear its ugly head, um, we continue through prayer to have it relieved. And then we can also do an in-depth four step as well. I mean, God's timing is God's timing. We have to be entirely ready, but it's it's God's time to remove it, and I need to accept that. So that doesn't mean excuses that behavior, but I need to continue to practice as if. I need to be held accountable for that behavior, and then I can also do more four-step work on it
0: as well. I hope that helps. Thank you, Loretta H., for your question. Hey, it looks like there's going to be time for one more question this morning. Who would like to ask a
2: question of Amy? Janice P.M.? Oh, good. It's yours. Your question, please. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, my dear Amy G. And, you know, I just want to preface the question by saying, you know, I say that you're one of our heroes. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to put you on a pedestal, but that we admire you. You know, Ebby was a hero to Bill. Uh, the astronomers were, et cetera. And then God, of course. But to me, a hero is somebody that I admire and does a lot of self-sacrifice. Now, my question to you is this. You know, when we at this group end on um, step seven, before we go to a vision for you, there's um, usually a decision where we go to the newcomer or we continue with the wives, and the uh, family afterward, and the employers. Now, step 12 teaches me, like you've explained, that the third part of step 12 is to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yet, what we do, if the vote is right, we go back to the, you know, we continue and then go to the newcomer. But course what do you do with your sponsees do you take them through the wives and the uh, family and the prince you know the employees because you sounded like yeah that's what we have to do I mean that's what I think we have to do anyway what do you do with your sponsees do you take them or do they go right to vision for you and then to go to the newcomer thank you Amy
1: Janice Oh, right Red. back at your sister, right back yeah. at you. Great love and appreciation for you, my friend. Um, Thank and you. you know, you know that I'm not all that. <laughs> You've
3: heard me. Oh yes,
1: yeah, I do know. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, you know that, actually, you know that's a
1: really good question because um, I mean, we go with the group conscience vote or, or the the vote or whatever, but. I think for me, you know, it's fair I have done that with some, but I have not done that with all. And usually after the first 164, you know, I'm speaking with sponsors uh sponsors on a on a regular basis. And then once they've completed step 12, we sort of pick and choose where we go and how often we talk. And so that is actually a really good question. I have gone through the family afterward, and to wives with some, but you really, it really begs the question that I actually I don't know, uh, because I think that is a really good idea. So yeah, I don't know. I think that actually begs more questions. To be honest with you, Yeah, 'cause because um, it just usually depends on where the sponsee is at, whether they're married, whether they have family, whether they have job issues, whether we would focus on some of those things. So. I I that's all I got on that one. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Janice, for your question. That's a good question to wrap up with. And thank, Amy, you. thank you again. Yeah, thank you again for you given so much of yourself today and also within the expanded piece of answering these particular questions for folks who had burning desires this morning. It just enhanced the message and the presentation that you gave this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Humbly carrying the message to 399 people. Thank you, Higher Power, right? That's amazing. Absolutely amazing that he provides these platforms for us to be able to do that. So we will close our meeting this morning, like we always do, with reading from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. And then we'll gather up your contact information. Art only. We realize we know only a little.